What is up, you beautiful human? Hello and welcome back to the Raw, Real and Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Beck Antonucci. Fam, today's episode is proudly brought to you by you. Yeah, you probably didn't even know that to be true. However, I know that I teach the power of a powerful ask and this entire conversation is based upon your request. I know that I asked my audience, what is it that you would really love to hear on Raw, Real and Vulnerable? And so many of you said, I would love to hear about the herpes virus from a man's perspective. And so many of you have personally sent me Sean's profile and said, please get him on the show. So this is literally the result of that. This is the result of you asking for what you most want. And something that I really want to reinforce here is this is a ripple effect that has no end. You do not know whose lives will now be touched and changed and impacted forever going forward because of this conversation we are now able to have. So thank you for asking for what it is that you most want because this conversation has really excited me. Sean Galanos is a love coach on Instagram. You can find him at The Love Drive. He talks about all things sex, intimacy, relationships. Once you sent me his profile and I headed over to his page, I couldn't not follow him. He talks powerfully about the herpes virus on the internet. And I just assumed this was a forever thing that he does. But in the midst of our podcast, I got to discover this is only a very new thing for him. He tested positive only in the past 12 months. However, the sexual health conversation is not something that is new to his world. I asked you all two days prior to the conversation what it is you would love for me to ask a man if I was to interview a man who tests positive for the virus on my podcast. And at the very end of the episode, I asked as many of your questions as I could. So you really, really get to receive a lot of love, a lot of value, a lot of juiciness. Sean, for me, represents the man who could, in the woman who is fearful of people knowing about her diagnosis, in the heterosexual woman's eyes, he represents for me the man that she believes would reject her. Now, he gives a very different perspective because I actually shared this with him. I said, it'll be so cool to have you on the show because he's hot, he's sexy, he's sassy, he's funny, he's cool. It's like he almost reminds you of like the popular guy in high school who might be like, "Mm, Beck, you're not cool enough for me. But he said, hey, Beck, no, on my account, on my Instagram, I represent the man that women would really love to have the opportunity today. And I'm like, yes based on the fact they know you test positive. But imagine if you got Sean and put him in front of you and didn't know that, would you disclose? Would you be fearful to disclose? Would you fear his response of your disclosure? I think that's a really cool conversation to have with yourself. I'm really excited to hear what you get to receive from this conversation. You get two different perspectives, male and female. They're both similar and equal parts different at the same time. If you love this episode as much as I loved recording it, please screenshot it, share it to your story if you're brave enough to say a big fuck you to Sigma. Tag both myself and Sean so that we can connect with you. I'm really fucking pumped to hear exactly what you think. Strap yourself in, fam. Let's fucking go. So Sean Galanos, hopefully I pronounced that correctly. I no, but that's okay. <laughs> no, fucked it. Damn it. <laughs> Welcome. Please pronounce your name right <laughs> and let the audience know who you are. It's it's Sean Galanos and I'm a love coach, but my dad pronounces it Galanos and he's Australian. So I think I tried to put like an Italian slash Aussie slang thing on it and just fucked it. It's Greek, and so it would be Galanos, and it's who knows. It doesn't matter. That's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) Welcome, and I'm really, really ecstatic to have you here. Yeah, ditto. Happy to be here. 
What is a love coach? Can you tell us? Yeah, I am also just going to make my head smaller because I don't... There we go. No, where are you? Oh, wow. You look so fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. You got the like beautiful... Yeah, yeah. Nice work. Uh, What's a love coach? I help people have better relationships, struggle a little bit less. Mm -hmm. Uh, I help people with the language to ask for what they want. I help people Mm -hmm. get their needs met. Uh, I help people with emotional, physical intimacy Mm -hmm. in a variety of different ways. And you talk about the herpes virus online. And I have herpes. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually my, it's like a little bit over my one year anniversary of getting herpes as a 39 year old. Oh, so it's a recent thing. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. yeah, when I and when I got diagnosed, I freaked out, obviously, as most people do right off the bat. And I called a bunch of my friends who are sex educators. And one of my friends said, holy shit, I'm, I'm shocked that you don't already have herpes based on what I know about your promiscuous lifestyle. Yeah. And so she said, you know, welcome to the club. You, you know, you were you were probably due. So. That's really funny. You can leave it there. But I mean, I think it's so fantastic to have that at 39, knowing that you can be promiscuous and it doesn't have to be on your path. But when you tell friends that are sex educators, there's almost like an element of shock, like, shouldn't you have it already? It's a crapshoot, I think. I mean, obviously, there's things that we could do to protect ourselves, but there's also, you know, only so much that you can do. I always figure that if the sex was good and juicy... A condom's really not going to do that much. Yeah, no. So that's sort of the way I looked at it. I was, I was due and, and here I am. And so how long had you been talking about sex, relationships, intimacy, pleasure, and getting your needs met, asking for what you want? How, how long has this been your career up until now? Probably about eight years. And I'm really curious, since you've gone super public with your herpes status online, how much has herpes become an influence in what you talk about on the internet? I don't talk about it that much. It, it just comes up. I, I decided to be public about it. I mean, I've been public about the fact that I had HPV uh, probably from like the first or second person that I ever had sex with. So growing up, I had to have the conversation about sexual health from the very, very get-go. And so for me to have herpes, like obviously I wasn't ecstatic about it. Like I'm not in the business Mm -hmm. of acquiring STIs, but nothing really changed in how I have a conversation with people, with partners about Mm -hmm. my sexual health. Now I just say I also have herpes and I take antivirals or, you know, these are the things I do to protect myself and to protect others. And here's the information that I have about that stuff. So I guess I'm grateful that I've been having that conversation for pretty much my whole entire life. Mm. So I know a lot of women can go through, and men can go through quite an emotionally turbulent experience when they find out they test positive. Was that your case in either scenarios, the HPV or the HSV? Yeah, both of them were pretty bad. I mean, you know, HPV, I had warts when I was younger, and they sort of cleared up eventually after a lot of intervention and medicine and um, laser therapy. And, And so I'm really grateful that those are gone. But it was, you know, as a 16-year-old with with HPV, like, it sucked. You know, I really thought that my, my sex life was over. Mm-hmm. And if you have symptoms, then, yeah, you're probably not having sex unless the other person that you're having sex with also has that same STI. Um, there's no risk of, of reinfecting each other. But 
I really thought that my sex life was over. And then I realized that that's actually not the case. And then when I got herpes, I was pretty bummed about it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's interesting. The first outbreak that I had was like minuscule. And mm-hmm. everything that I had read was that all subsequent the outbreaks. The worst one? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's tiny, you know? But uh, I guess the first one was a fake outbreak because the, the next one was a fucking, you know, was a rager. Yeah. And I was, I had just moved to a new city. I was living in a hotel. I had no friends. And it was a pretty dark couple weeks. You know, I will, I'll admit that it was a pretty dark couple weeks. And then uh, I went on a few dates, talked to a few people, had sex, disclosed my herpes. They were like, oh, that's cool. No big deal. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not everybody's experience. Like, mm-hmm. I think, I think women are more accepting. I think mm-hmm. men tend to freak out a little bit more about this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I've even freaked out in the past growing up when I was younger, maybe in my like early 20s or mid 20s, when someone said they had herpes, I would say, well, I really appreciate you telling me that, but I'm not, I'm not up for the risk right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe that is more common. That's a more common stance for some men. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, I have, you know, these sex educator friends that I have said that they would almost prefer having sex with somebody who does have herpes because they know their status. They know how to s- protect themselves. They're usually on antivirals or some other sort of intervention to lower the risk rather than people who don't know what their status is, could be asymptomatic, could be positive. I've never really been tested for it. So mm-hmm. it was dark, but it got relatively lighter. What did you do to support yourself throughout those two weeks? Oh, I was terrible. I like binge watch TV and I vaped and I ate shitty food. I did like everything you're not supposed to do. Put on 50 pounds, ate Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the vaping. Yeah. The the vaping, the smoking, anything that's bad for your immune system uh, or your general health is not going to be supportive. And also, I'm also a big believer in like, if you're really struggling, like do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that might look like, you know, vaping, eating Ben and Jerry's and binge watching TV and not exercising. You're probably not doing your body the best service, but it's also pretty temporary. You know, that that low is temporary. How did you go? I know this is only a one year thing. How did you go from two weeks of binge watching Netflix, vaping, not feeling quite low to being like, you know what? Now I'm just going to put it on the Internet. You're like, I test positive for herpes. It's cool. Uh, it took a little while. I think I had to have a couple sexual encounters mm-hmm. that were positive for me to feel mm-hmm. comfortable about this and for me to be like, oh, okay, this isn't really that big of a deal. I'm also very public about things like sexual health. I've written about it in my past. I have blogs, videos, and podcasts about how to have conversations around sexual health and my status, my HPV status. So I figured it's really not going to be a big deal to just add herpes. And the stigma for herpes is actually worse. But Mm -hmm. I'm not concerned about the negative outlook that people might have because I have herpes. Like, I I just don't care about that stuff. If you are judging me for my promiscuity or for my status, you're not someone that I want in my life anyways. So it doesn't matter. I actually don't care. And I love that. How does someone embody that regardless of what their thing is that they might fear people know about them? It could be their promiscuity. It could be their sexual health status. Do you have any tools or words of advice, guidance that would support someone to just be able to own parts of themselves no matter what people think of it? I think something I learned a a while ago is what other people think of me as none of my business. And Mm -hmm. that is a, a really nice 
perspective, it's also very hard to employ because Mm -hmm. I really do enjoy being liked. But I also have to remember that the people that really matter are my inner circle, Mm -hmm. right? What strangers think of me really doesn't matter. I mean, of course, if we have a room of 100 strangers, 90% of them think I'm an asshole, I might want to look at that. Right. But Mm -hmm. if I have a handful of people who think I'm an asshole and most people think I'm nice, I don't really care. Mm -hmm. Right. Because everyone's going to have their own judgments, their own projections. We're all sort of walking around wounded, hurting people, trying not to, some people more than most. And so I just really can't take in people's opinions of me and take them personally, especially now that I'm much more public. I have a much larger audience. So I get a lot of feedback, unsolicited feedback from people. And you just, I just can't let it affect me or else I'd be really bummed. And has it always been this way for you when you've been sharing so openly online? Have you had been on the receiving end of feedback in the past where you're like, oh, that comment rocks me? Yeah, every now and then something will, I mean, I remember some guy calling me a pseudo-therapist couch potato and I was like, ah, fucker, you know, like that kind of stings a little bit. And so I had to look at that. And then I looked at his profile and saw that he was like a psychedelic therapist. And I was like, ah, fuck him, you know? So there has to be some amount of self-worth. And I think I have higher confidence than a lot of people. Didn't always. Uh, I think, mm-hmm. you know, the experiences that I've had and the work that I've done, well, a lot of therapy uh, have led to me feeling like I'm worthy of love and and feeling good about myself for the most part, and also speaking really positively about myself. Mm-hmm. Right? I've had periods of time where I was just really shitty to myself, and we could be so mean. Mm-hmm. We could be meaner to ourselves than we would be to anybody else. And I learned to cut that shit out because it's not helpful, right? Like life is hard enough as it is. The world can be very brutal, can be very rough. We don't need to add to that dialogue. So those are some of the things that that I've learned along the way. I love everything that you put in there, like knowing that you're worthy of love, the internal dialogue. If there was a woman that came across your path that was looking to open her heart to love, found your page and really resonated with everything that you speak about, but she just doesn't feel worthy of receiving love on the inside, what would you say to her? What would be a great place to start? Go to therapy. Go to therapy. I mean, I I hate that piece of advice really because it is not accessible for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and it is not a quick fix. It is Mm -hmm. a slow fix. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of time and dedication and finding a really great therapist and also having money to pay that therapist. And so that's why I kind of hate that advice. But if you don't feel worthy, no amount of external validation from other people will ever be enough, Mm -hmm. right? You will constantly be seeking it. And I'm I'm not saying... Don't seek external validation. We do need people to tell us that we're great, right? We we do need that. But if you fundamentally feel like you're a piece of shit, no amount of people telling you how great you are is going to change that, right? So no course, no podcast episode is really going to do that work, Mm -hmm. right? And the way that I've been able to do it was through an incredibly loving therapist that I still see today. I've been in therapy for about eight years. That was going to be my next question. Are you still in the work right now? Yeah, I'm still in the work right now. I'm, I mean, I, I talk to my therapist on a weekly basis. She lives in Montreal. I live in Arizona. We're still able to work together. I'm so, so, so grateful. And I need somebody like that that has legit training in psychological health and mental health. And I love the comment that you made about the longevity of doing the work. 
because I really believe new level, new devil. Like whenever we rise, we're going to be met with new circumstances, new challenges, new limiting beliefs to really navigate. The wound can really come alive in a different place. It's where, you know, women can call in that beautiful aligned partner. And then because they have done the work to call him in, but perhaps not feel worthy of his love, then go ahead and sabotage that beautiful relationship. Yeah. And also relationships are hard. You know, like I am my biggest roadblock or bottleneck to a lot of stuff that I want in my life. I think sabotage is fine. I think there's a there's a lot of really negative talk around the self-sabotage, you know, like you're doing it to yourself and stop mm-hmm. getting in your own way. And like, yeah, okay, we're human. We're also going to we're going to do that until we're we're done doing it. Right. Like it takes a lot of experiences. I don't like calling them mistakes, but experiences that allow you to finally see the pattern, right? To go, okay, I'm kind of done with this pattern. I'm sick of this pattern, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the beauty and sort of the double edged sort of awareness is once you're aware of a pattern, now you could see yourself doing the thing again. And eventually that will get old. You know, it's going to get old and you're going to, you know, level up and find a new devil. What is that saying? Like transformation starts when you get sick of your own bullshit. No, the saying is level up, devil up. <laughs> I like both. <laughs> so when I messaged you, I said like, let's go all things sex, relationships, herpes. And you said it would also be really cool to discuss how to navigate a herpes rejection. So yeah. I'd really love to go there. Has it ever happened to you? No, because I, I don't have a lot. I haven't had a lot of experience since then. You know, uh, strangely enough, I have never been rejected because of my STI status. So let that be shining light in a tunnel of darkness that you can also expect to be accepted despite your status. Do you know, it's really funny that you say that because I went through like seven years of hating myself for this thing. And then when I went public, I was like, I choose myself no matter what anyone says. Everyone was like, that's cool. I accept you. Thanks for telling me. It's no big deal. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) It's a big deal to me. And I realized that my acceptance of it was the thing that reflected back so much acceptance back to me. And the only person that was judging me with it was myself. Yeah. And and your non-acceptance made it so that you just didn't feel comfortable with yourself. Mm -hmm. You kind of bring that energy where you're a little hesitant, a little, you know, not feeling worthy. And and that's going to affect your relationships. Mm -hmm. So going there, because you actually really wanted to talk about this, what would you say to someone who has been rejected based on their herpes disclosure? Yeah, I mean, I talk about this often because I get messages from people saying I was rejected. I told them about my herpes and they said they weren't interested and they ghosted me or, you know, whatever. And it's hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you know, I do have a lot of experience with rejection, just not this in particular, whether it's past partners or I used to do a lot of man on the street interview stuff where I would... Mm -hmm stop people with a microphone in on the streets of Montreal, uh, Tokyo, San Francisco, all over the world. And so that is a beautiful exercise in rejection resilience because you're getting 80% no's, mm-hmm. right? But you're also getting 20% yeses. So what I say to people that are uh, feeling rejection is that they're not rejecting you as a person. They're rejecting a connection a sexual connection with you or whatever your request was, you know? So like, let's say you ask for more commitment in a relationship and someone says, I'm actually not available for that. It would be great if everybody was so loving and kind in their rejections. And a lot of people aren't, they're just really unskilled. The rejection is to the request or the activity, not to you as a person. No one's really saying you're a bad person. You're a dirty person. You're a soiled person. They're not saying that even though they might not be super skilled in saying, you know, what I would love people to say is, I really appreciate you telling me that. 
That's Mm -hmm. like really courageous of you. And I'm not comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just don't have the information for it. It's not it's not a risk that I want to take. I feel really bad saying that because you're an amazing person. Mm-hmm. Is there something else that we can do rather than get naked right now? Mm-hmm. Can we make out? Can we watch a movie? Can we cuddle? Can we take a bath? Can we do whatever, all, all this other things? Or I'm just not comfortable doing this at all. And I'm really sorry. I wish I were. And that's probably not what people are, are saying. Fam, are you ready to up-level your love life and date with confidence? Do you desire a powerful partnership but you're unclear on what your dating and relationship standards are? After Women started creating incredible clarity within themselves after downloading my free dating and relationship standards framework, I couldn't not get us all into one big virtual room and run a live webinar on exactly this. And my raw, real and vulnerable fam, you're invited. In this 75-minute live webinar, you are going to learn how to activate your feminine and masculine power held within to set empowering standards from both energetics, how to be a stand below standards by saying yes to your yes and equally knowing your no, and I'm going to support you with embodiment tools and practices so that you can break free from the fear of rejection and attract into your world potential partners who are living in alignment to your wants, needs, and desires. There's nothing that I love more than facilitating this work live with my incredible community of women. Seats for this free webinar are limited, so make sure you head to the link in my show notes and secure your seat for November 29th today. I cannot wait to see you there. Let's fucking go. I love how you say, I don't believe that people intend to be malicious and i love that you said it's their lack of skill i don't even think it's a lack of empathy sometimes i believe if i'm feeling challenged to receive a no from someone because of my own fear of rejection or anything that could come up within me when someone shares something that's super vulnerable not a lot of people know how to be with that level of depth and vulnerability and so the easiest thing sometimes is to push back at it and it can be quite abrupt or aggressive which can feel very abrupt for the receiver but there's no intent to be hurtful yeah, that's a good point. I think people really struggle with presence in the face of vulnerability, right? And I've done enough like weird cuddle tantra things where we do a lot of eye gazing and we talk about really uncomfortable things and we just hold space for people that now I'm more skilled in that, right? Like I could see someone pouring their heart out and it doesn't make me want to run away. I just witness them for whatever it is that they're sharing. And I think that people are just not skilled at that. They don't have any experience. They didn't see their role models doing it. They didn't see their parents doing it. They didn't see their partners doing it. So I think it's really nice to be able to give people the grace, even if they're rejecting you, to see that they're kind of doing the best they can, even though sometimes their best is not that great, and to just sort of let them off the hook a little bit. And if someone isn't choosing all parts of us, my belief, they're probably not the person for me. Like if someone was repelled, I remember the man that I was dating before my current partner, he didn't care about the herpes thing. He didn't care about all of it. But then he turned around about a month in and he said, your Instagram is a bit much. Like you're a bit over the top. It's very, like, it's a lot. And in that moment, I was like, it's not that he's rejecting anything about me, but that part, if you can't be in full celebration of my expression, then that to me is a no. And I turned around and said, this isn't going to work. This isn't aligned. Yeah, go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And you're a dating coach. So rejection obviously comes up all the time in so many different facets. And for some women, it can be, and men, it can be the herpes virus. But for people who don't test positive for the virus, they're still experiencing their own experiences of rejection. 
all the time. One of my fundamental core experiences around rejection was, and the learning here is that you never know how it's going to play out, right? We're not really good at knowing, at predicting the future because we mm-hmm. can't, mm-hmm. right? So I remember I really wanted this job at a company called GitHub. It's a tech company. And everyone was getting like the free lunches and the free MacBooks and the big salaries. And I was like, I think I want this. And I interviewed for it. And for whatever reason, they passed. And I was gutted, gutted. Mm -hmm. And I started driving a taxi. And in that taxi, I started interviewing people about sex, loving, and dating. And I called it the love drive. Oh, wow. That's That's where your name came from. That's where the name came from. That's where the career came from. It came from the rejection getting dumped into a taxi and making something of it. And here we are eight years later, working for myself, making good money, not having to show up to meetings that I don't want to show up to. And without that experience, I probably wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. So you never know how it's going to play out. Someone says no. It's like that, you know, I hate like, oh, one door closes and like another one opens. But it's kind of true, right? You don't know how it's going to... It is true. You don't know how it's going to play out. And it's probably in the long run, it's almost like the stock market. It does, you know, return an investment, you know, positive investment. There's ups and downs. And when you're in the pits, you know, like you find out you got herpes or you get rejected by the quote unquote love of your life or who you think is going to be your forever partner, you're in the dumps. But if you look at it over 10 years, you know, that was a bump in the road and it probably led you into a much more interesting and more aligned direction. Love that. And what I was really pointing at is like, I have clients and girlfriends who will see a man, go on a date, disclose their herpes status, and then never hear from him again and be like, oh my God, it's because I have herpes. It's because of this. And then I'll have another girlfriend that calls me and is like, I really like this guy. We're getting along really well. We went out for dinner. We had sex. Then I never heard from him again. And he ghosted me. And it'll be the same scenario. But one will be like, it's because I have herpes. And the other one will be like, I can't even blame it on having herpes because I don't have herpes. So what the fuck is wrong with me for him to just do that? But I feel like it's all a part and parcel of just dating as a whole. Yeah, I also wish that we could get a little bit more clarity on why people are rejecting us. Like the whole ghosting thing, I get it. It's unfortunately like a reality of dating nowadays. I find it unfortunate. It'd be really nice if if people just told you, hey, this isn't a good fit for, for these reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. Not that we're getting feedback from them like, oh, you suck for these reasons, but this isn't aligned because we don't have the same goals, because I'm just not feeling the connection that I want to be feeling because my interest has fucking just waned mm-hmm. and and I'm bummed about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead, we just like kind of hide or we don't share what's going on or we run away. And I find that really unfortunate. I think I think grace at the end of a relationship, no matter how short it is, is a really beautiful thing to be able to give to somebody. Mm, My mentor said, Beck, whenever you leave, just make sure that you leave on top. And that's really stuck with me. Do you know about the campsite rule? No. Leave it better than you found it. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's from Dan Savage. I think it's generally is about when you're an older person dating a younger person, you have a responsibility to leave it better than you found it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it applies to all relationships. Well, I did have this with my relationship with my home that I was telling you about because I was like, maybe if I just stay for another six months and like move my partner in and then we'll all hate it at the end of the time and then I'll want to leave because leaving in love felt really challenging. It's easy to go when you're like, get away from me versus when you're like, oh, I know this isn't right, but I I love you so much and it's time to go. That feels really courageous. Yeah, it's like leaving a party when it's still fun. Yeah. 
That's the move, right? 2 a.m. Nothing good happens after 2 a.m. Yeah, or even, I mean, if you have to go to bed at midnight, that's okay. I get that too. So I have a load of questions for you from my audience who they're actually the women who put me on to you. They're like, you have got to speak to this man. You've got to get him on your podcast. I want to hear you have a conversation with him. So I have a few questions from them for you. Are you open to them? You know me in Q&A. I just can't get enough. <laughs> I know your whole Instagram is exactly that. I've seen it today. Now people are sending video Q&As. I just, yeah, just tried a new thing. It's a little buggy, but it's, but it's really beautiful actually to see people. And being able to connect. Yeah. Being able to connect. And also like I, I am quite sassy because some of the questions are frankly a little ridiculous or, or basic or just incessant, right? The same questions over and over and over again, but it's way different when you get to see someone asking you the question. Like it's, mm. it's much more vulnerable. It's much more beautiful. So I am trying something, but yeah, I do have a, a formula on my Instagram that I've been doing for three years now. <laughs> Oh, cool. Very fun. Well, I'm ecstatic to be a new follower. So I know we kind of touched on this, but pre-herpes, what were your thoughts about the virus? Uh, I I didn't want to get it. Yeah. And if I I were to get it, I'd prefer to have it on my genitals than on my mouth. I'll be honest. Oh, really? Why is that? I'm such a public person. I'm always on on video and on calls and, and online. And so I don't know. For me, it's just like, you know, if it's on my if it's on my genitals, very few people know about it. If it's on my mouth, everyone's going to know about it. Until you put so it on still, the internet, and then everyone really does know about it. There are a lot of people that are really courageous and, and like just do videos with oral herpes, and they, it's not a big deal. And I think that's really beautiful and courageous. But that was one of the things that I was definitely thinking of before I got it. Mm-hmm. So that's a beautiful question for me to just add in there, because I know a lot of my audience can get really annoyed. Genital herpes, you have to disclose. Oral herpes, there's no stigma around that. You don't have to. People are not. What are your thoughts about that one? I think it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Why are people not disclosing their oral herpes? Mm-hmm. I think it doesn't make any sense. It's like, oh, it's a fever blister. It's herpes. Oh, it's a cold sore. It's also herpes. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not and I'm also not a doctor. I know they're a little bit different. Um, but they're essentially a very similar virus. You can still transmit it if it's on your mouth mm-hmm. through like a cigarette or a vape or a glass of water or a fork. Like there are ways for that to transmit. And I think before kissing someone who has oral herpes, I would love to know if they get cold sores. Same. You know, why, why are we the only ones that have to disclose? I actually, it's funny when I was going through, like when I first found out that I test positive for herpes and it was a really, like I said, emotionally very challenging time. And one of my male best friends always used to kiss me on the lips. And then one day he went to kiss, but pulled away. And I realized he had a cold sore and I was like, I can't believe he's been kissing me all this time on my lips just to say hello. And like, because I'd done all my research and I'm like, oh my God, cold sores on your lips. Ah, herpes, I can't believe this. So I was like, I can't believe he was doing that to me. I feel the same way. I really don't understand it. Um, I hope it changes. Did you get it via a surprise transmission or as a result of informed sex with a sexual partner? A surprise transmission. Actually, it's kind of weird. We were both surprised by it. Okay. We had both had a recent partner and we had sex and then we both got it. So we don't know really who got it from who and it doesn't really matter actually who gets it from who, you know, other than like informing people about it. Yeah. And what was that conversation like, if you don't mind sharing? The conversation was like, yeah, super awkward. I called and said, hey, we need to chat. And I just tested positive for herpes. And she goes, okay, I'm going to go get tested. And then a week, you know, a week later, she's like, I just got 
you know, I just got an outbreak. I tested positive also. Yeah. So it was kind of nice that we were able to support each other through this new thing. And we both don't know who we got it from. The other two people were asymptomatic. So it's just like a kind of a freak accident, really. And as it occurred for you, maybe there's a level of maturity. Was there any kind of resentment or fear or projection at her or you should have been? No, no none of that. No, no. Just like full responsibility. Oh, like shit happens. Mm. We got it now. And, you know, like, how can we support each other? Oh, I love that. I know it's only been a 12 month journey, but how has testing positive for the herpes virus shaped your identity, if any? Well, now I'm much more public about it. You know, I've, I went out to 200,000 people yeah. about having herpes and the the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Mm. Right? It, it it has inspired a lot of people from what I can tell to feel more comfortable about it, to share about it, to be honest about it, mm-hmm. to accept that part, you know, and to see that it's really not that big a deal. So, I don't know, it feels it feels good to be able to help people in that way. Mm, I love that. There were quite a lot of questions about, and I know my audience is largely female, lots of questions about your conversation with your male friends about the herpes virus. And Mm -hmm. my female audience feeling, and this big generalization, like it's very stigmatized and that men are insensitive to the topic. So there was questions like, do you talk to your male friends about it? Do you educate your male friends about it? Do you pull your male friends up when they make insensitive jokes about it? Yeah. I mean, I also make jokes about it. So because I, you know, I find some of this stuff really funny. Like we kind of have to not take it so seriously because at the end of the day, I know there can be, I've been schooled on the fact that there can be like horrendous consequences for women who have herpes. But for the most part, like, you know, it's fairly benign in terms of the effects that it can have on your body. It's just that the stigma and the emotional effects can be can be pretty debilitating. Yeah, I, t- I talk to my my friends. I mean, I have a core group of guys and we we talk about this stuff, you know, and they were definitely there to support me through those dark times. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that I don't share with, you know, probably I'd say like seven or eight guys, mm-hmm. you know, in my life that that I'll share anything with, including this. Do you feel like that um, comes with a level of maturity? Because I know you said there was like a 25-year young version of you that just didn't want it and wasn't really open to the conversation and was on the receiving end of a disclosure and said, thanks for your honesty, but no thank you. Do you feel like that yeah. came with like life experience and maturity and seeing everything that we go through up until 39 to be like, oh, herpes not really a big deal? Yeah, I guess. I mean, we all sort of grow, you know, in confidence. Hopefully we grow in confidence and self-love where we realize what's really important. And a little herpes virus is not one of those things that I don't like to speak in shoulds, but we shouldn't really be giving it the power that it has to affect us the way it does. What's something bigger than herpes that you've navigated in your life, if you don't mind sharing? That I've navigated? Mm. Oh, I mean, just breakups. You know, mm-hmm. breakups with the woman that I thought I was going to marry and have kids with. I think that's mm-hmm. like kind of a big one, which is basically just it's a it's a grieving process for the life that that I thought I was going to have. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of the bigger ones. I mean, I'm a love coach, so everything is in the lens of relationships for me. Mm, I love that and resonates deeply. Question, how to phrase disclosure conversation with men? I've only heard it from a female perspective. Okay, so the way I do it, my whole script is basically before you get naked, ideally. And when you have a feeling that you might be getting naked, maybe you're making out, you know, maybe you're at dinner and and there's like a lot of heavy flirting and innuendos about going back to somebody's house. You could say, this feels like a really appropriate time to talk about sexual health. Mm -hmm. 
I'll go first. Uh, last time I was tested was two months ago. I, ha- I haven't had any partners since then. Uh, when I was younger, I had HPV. My body's kind of cleared that up. Last year, I got herpes. I've had maybe four outbreaks in the last year, none in the last two months. I take antivirals, if you do. And I use condoms for penetrative sex and not for oral sex. This is kind of what it looks like for me to have this conversation. So that's me. Do you have any questions for me? And then that's an opportunity for you to answer any questions. And then uh, then you could say, okay, your turn, right? And then they go. And then you say like, so how do you feel about like continuing or do you need any more information or you need some time, right? So that's sort of how I, I've always approached it. And I'm responsible for keeping myself safe as well as somebody else mm-hmm. and giving them all the information that I have. And it's also valid for them to to say, oh yeah, totally fine. Where were we? I have some questions. Do you mind you know, filling me in a little bit, or uh, I'd love to maybe pause this and for me to do my research, or I'm not open to continuing this connection with you because of I'm just a little scared, you know? So those are sort of the options. And that's how I approach the conversation. It's not like quick and smooth, right? Like, it's not a quick conversation. It's actually quite complex, and it has a lot of moving pieces, but you have to show up for it. I love that. And I always love to say to the person, do you have any questions for me to open the space for them to feel comfortable enough to be able to ask what's there for them? I actually put it as my Tinder bio for a long time and people were really cool about it. And some people would be saying me too. Other people are like, I don't give a shit. And you're so courageous. I think that's awesome. And then there was the third person would be like, I know nothing about this. Can you please let me know what it means? Like what implications would it have for me as soon as we have sex? Does that mean I'm on the receiving end? Do you need to take medication for it? What does it, I don't know anything about it. And I, and some people like, I don't want to go to Google and be misinformed. So can you please tell me? And I thought that was really cool as well. You're like, yeah, I'll misinform you instead. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I got an ax to grind. I'm talking to, to women, right? To a predominantly female audience. Yes. Hundred percent. Right? I got I got an axe to grind with oh my God, ladies. Right? Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Ninety nine percent of the times that I've hooked up with someone, I was the person to bring it up. Sexual health. The conversation about sexual health, uh-huh. which leads me to believe that there are a lot of people there that are not going to have the conversation unless I bring it up. What is up with that? You know what? I went through a really long process of being in complete denial and not talking about it. I was like, never going to have this word come out of my mouth. And I was going through a really promiscuous phase and I was like, fuck, I've fucked all these people and I know no one's brought up the sexual health conversation with me. Why should I? Why should I? Pass the buck. Pass the buck. <laughs> Still to this day, I have only had one person bring up sexual health with me and that's because I brought it up with him and shared about the herpes virus and a week later he got tested and had something else and he gave me a call and told me I was clear that is the only person in my whole entire life I'm 34 that has ever had a sexual health conversation with me before having sex he had it after what about before no one's ever stopped you before having sex and saying let's talk about sexual health no one not one person okay so maybe it's not ladies, but anyways, ladies, you got to buck up and have these conversations because, because if what I realized a long time ago is if I don't keep myself safe, there's a great chance that the other person isn't going to try to keep me safe either. I love that. And I also love to say that doing the hard thing is often easier 
than not doing the hard thing. Like, yeah, okay, some people might think that it's a mood killer. It doesn't have to be. It could actually be a thing that creates deeper trust and more intimacy and more connection. But the aftermath of not doing and saying the hard thing could have a lot of negative implications for your life. Also, it sucks. It sucks to feel guilty about not doing the thing that you know you should be doing. I also think that if you have an STI, you now have responsibility to tell people. So, And also, if, if you are the person with the information, whatever the information is, right, some tool about attachment styles or, you know, your sexual health, if you have it and the other person doesn't, so it's your responsibility to go first. Because if you don't go first, they're not going to go at all. I love that. My mentor teaches the person who is most resourced has the responsibility in that moment. Like whenever I've been navigating anything with Jake, he's often like, which one of you is most resourced right now? That person is the leader of this domain until you're not. And so I guess my final question with that, which one of the women has asked, has a woman ever disclosed any kind of sexual health, anything to you? And if they have, have you been in bed with her and been constantly thinking about it? Uh, well, there was that one person who had herpes and I decided not to sleep with her. Mm -hmm. So we pivoted and like watched a movie or something. No one has ever disclosed and I was in my head. Yeah, no, I don't have, I don't have that experience, which is kind of shocking to think about the fact that in all my sexual encounters, I was the one with STIs, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody else was. Mm Mm-hmm. I think, you know what, I think that there might have been, oh yeah, so I have had experiences with people more recently who have had herpes and were on antivirals or or hadn't had outbreaks in in years before I had herpes. So I have slept with people who have herpes and it didn't, it didn't bother me and it didn't ruin the the moment and I I didn't spend the whole time thinking about it. Okay. So what would you say as a, almost a final wrap up getting to the end now, what would you say to any woman who has disclosed, she shared with the man, she said with her sexual partner, whoever that person is, and now she's in her head, oh my God, they must be thinking that I have herpes the entire time that they're intimate with me. And that thought is consuming them while they're basically in the act of sex. Yeah. Stop and have a conversation about it. Hey, I'm having a really hard time being present. I can't stop thinking about the fact that you maybe can't stop thinking about the fact that I have herpes. Can we just talk about this for a little bit? Can you ease my fears? Is that actually happening? Again, people are like, oh, mood killer. And it's like, hello, the mood is not that fickle, right? It's not that fickle. You can find your arousal again. If you found it before, you can find it again, right? And so talk about it, right? If, If you don't, yeah, go ahead. I always find for me, even with my partner now, if there's something internal that's a block for me, which is absolutely nothing about sexual health and it's in my mind, if I speak it with him and clear it, then my ability to be present and have a deeper sexual experience with him is amplified. But if I don't speak it, then it's just going to be like surface level sex. And one of us is going to know that the other person was in their head the entire time because of our experience together in that moment. Yeah. You can't hide lack of presence. A hundred percent. So basically, right. I love to say, just speak about the elephant in the room. Yeah, talk about it. What's it What's it even, what is the elephant doing in the room in the first place? I think maybe society putting it into women's minds that it makes them bad and unworthy and unattractive and that their sex life is ruined and that no man, like that's why I really desired to get you on the podcast because you're gorgeous and women are like, oh my God, he's so hot. You have to get him on the podcast and you're like sassy and you're like, yes, I know that I am. So funny, I was in Europe recently and people would come up to me and tell me that I was beautiful. I'd say, I know. And then they just crack up laughing. I'm like, we've got to own this, Sean. We really do. But you represent... 
I think for some of my audience, a man that could potentially reject them. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I also think that I represent in my audience, the kind of guy that they, people would like to be dating. So I'm unlikely actually, yeah, I'm unlikely to, to reject you because you have herpes, especially now that I have herpes mm. and you know, the, the group, what is it? The club's pretty large now, right? There's a lot of people with herpes out there. I would say most of us. I don't know. The numbers are all, they're all like fluid. They keep changing. And I think at the end of the day, the thing that I say about statistics, though, is like it doesn't make you feel any better about any shame or emotional pain that you're going through. Like you can tell a woman who hates herself that it's so common, but knowing that it's common doesn't actually make me feel better until I choose to navigate the shame that I've been going through around testing positive and the beliefs that I feel that it creates about me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. The the statistics aren't going to make you feel better. So I have had such a good time sharing this space with you today. It's been so great having you on the podcast. And I always ask every guest the same question to wrap up. Shit. Yeah. You ready? (laughs) What does it mean, Sean, to be raw, real and vulnerable in your own life? Oh, that's a good question. I think for me, it's just showing up for my inner circle in a way that uh, I don't show up for other people, right? I, I really find it beautiful and important to share vulnerably what's happening to the people that are close to me, right? And to sort of let them into my inner world because then we just get closer and then they let me into their inner world and then I, I, I sort of have a posse of people that can that can have my back. So that's what it looks like for me. Love that. Love that, love that, love that. If anyone has heard you today and really just desires to come over to the Love Drive space and get more of you, your Q&As and all the things, where can they find you? Yeah, on Instagram at the Love Drive, uh, the Love Drive podcast. There's probably like 160 episodes, uh, some solo, some guest. Took a little break from the podcast, but there's a lot of good stuff out there. I literally um, tuned into your um, my first sex party one the other day. Fun, right? Yeah, so fun. Oh, did you get to the end? I did get to the end. To the secret, the secret last bit. Is it the part where it wasn't your first one? It was actually your second one? No, the part where, so there's a, that's a two-part episode where I, I then interview the woman that I had sex with. Oh, no, I haven't le- heard that one. Yeah, I'm not going to, I won't ruin it because there's, there's really a, there's a shocking twist at the end. Oh my God. I got to like the burning sensation. I got to the complete of that first one, the burning sensation and all the things at the very end of the... Oh, you got okay. You got to the hand sanitizer part. Yeah, yeah. I got we'll just to the leave hand it at that. We'll just, part. we'll just, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Okay, amazing. Well, we've left everyone on the cliffhanger. We can all go and tune in. Sean, you're amazing. Thank you so much for being here with me today. It was really an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you're desiring more from me right now, firstly, I love your eagerness, and secondly, let's make it happen. Check out the link in my show notes where you can receive more information on my books, breakthroughs, online webinars, all upcoming courses and programs, and how you can get started on your journey within my world today. I can't wait to be back in your ears next week. And trust me, you won't want to miss this episode.